This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program, Warning, with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International and Eagle Saving Nations. Today's message was given by Dr. Hansen's associate pastor, Rev. E.J. Buckhart, and was recorded April 8, 2006. It is titled, Why the Message of Warning, How to Remain Faithful. Now, let's begin. That's such a good thing to be able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship the Lord. We welcome our brothers and sisters who are from other parts of the country. I don't call them visitors because we are the body of Christ and they are part of that. You know, this is an honor and a privilege to be able to come together and just to worship and praise the Lord. It's such an honor. We don't really understand in America the freedom that we do have. It's no fun to be in the underground church, but I'll tell you what, There's a lot of joy in the hearts of those people in the underground church. So remember those people in your prayers. Because as you remember them in their prayer, in your prayers, they will remember you when we come under persecution. And it is coming. And the Lord never said that we would go through life without troubles, without difficulties, But he says, I will be with you when you go through those troubles. And as Dr. Mike read at our pastoral retreat, God wants to get us out of a comfort zone. He'll never let you be in a comfort zone. So if you find yourself in a wonderful comfort zone, you probably should get on your knees and ask the Lord, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Today's message, I've entitled it, Why the message of warning? Subtitle, How to Remain Faithful. So we're going to talk about why the message warning. As you know, we have a warning radio program, and that's the title of it, warning. And there's a message for that. And we want to go over that a little bit to show you why is Pastor Hanson, why did the Lord give him the warning as a title? Let's open up your Bibles. You've all got the sword with you today. Remember that it's the Word that God wants us to be into. We just don't pray, but we also need to be into the Word. 
And so let's open up your Bibles to, most of you probably even know where I'm going when I'm talking about the warning message. It's Ezekiel 33. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel 33. And we're going to go through that to start with. So right now, Lord Jesus, we just ask you to allow your word to speak to each one of our hearts. For each one of us comes at a different place, at a different time in our lives as we serve you. So Lord, I'm just asking as we read your word and as we meditate upon it, that you will speak to our hearts so that when we leave this service, we'll be more on fire for you than we were when we came in. Thank you, Lord. Again, the word of the Lord come unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, when I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coats and set him for their watchman, if when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet, and warn the people. We're seeing this happening in America today. We've had some warning signs. We've seen a couple buildings go down. We need to warn the people that God's judgment is coming upon America. Because, as you know, we are guilty of the four sins that bring judgment upon a nation. For those who have studied the Old Testament will understand. Idolatry, immorality, killing of the innocent, and dividing the land of Israel. And if you just happen to pick up a paper, or if you happen to listen to a newscast, that's about what you hear about. Idolatry, immorality, killing of the innocent, and dividing of the land of Israel. So in other words, the warning is to let the people know. And there's some penalties for you that know the truth if you don't warn the people. And that's an important point. There is a warning for us if we do not warn the people. Whoever so heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not the warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not the warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh the warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, and his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. God is holding you and I responsible. When the tragedies come and the trumpet is blowing, he holds us responsible for my brother's blood. We sang that we serve an awesome God. I stand before him. If that is a true statement, we believe that. We need to take his word that he will hold us responsible. 
So as you learn the truth, that truth sets you free to serve the Lord, but at the same time, it's calling you to be responsible for the calling that he's given us. So thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. So that's why we're doing the warning. We need to take a look at God's word, and we need to take a look at our generation. If you would turn over to Proverbs 30, I'm going to read from verse 5 through 14 and do a little study of it. Starting with verse 5 on Proverbs 13, every word of God is pure. Pure. That's untainted. It's true. It's uncontaminated. It's healthy. It's tested. Every word of God is true. I was reading in David Workelson's last letter, and he had a statement in here in where he speaks, and he says, Dear Saint, your Bible is pure. Your Bible is pure. If you neglect it, you will find yourself withering. Now, what we're talking about is plants and life. And he was using miracle grow. He used the word that your Bible is pure as miracle grow. It's an example. Because if plant lives, those who love flowers, and my wife does extremely well, she's our gardener, knows that if you don't provide good soil and fertilize the plants, and water the plants, they die. If you want a beautiful yard, it takes upkeep, it takes water, and God provides the sunshine. We don't control that part of it, but we can do a lot of others. But the point of it is, if you neglect it, you will find your soul withering. But if you tend your soul regularly with a miracle food, this is the scripture, you will come back to full life and strength. So if you've fallen away and you've been not in the Word, it's time to get back in the Word because it will revitalize that plant. I'm every now and then look around and look in and say the plant's getting kind of droopy and a little bit of water and the plant comes back to life. Or add a little fertilizer, the plant comes back to life. Our spiritual life is not much different than the plant life that God created. It requires nourishment. So we need to give attention to it, meditate on it, and have it available at all times. The shield. He, that's God, is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. In Ephesians 6.16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All the fiery darts, not just one of them, but all of them, as you use the shield of faith. I was reading an article today that says, you know, we're in the age of 
filth. And I won't read the article because it's not proper. But if you stop to listen to television, look at the movies, listen to people speak in your workplace, there's a lot of filth that's coming out of the mouths that we hear. And I thought it was interesting when I read the article and they said, we are in the age of filth. Now, that to me is hard to take as a country in America is supposed to have been founded on Christian faith, now to be titled, we're living in an age of filth in America. Something has got to change. And God has called you and I to do that changing. In verse 7 and 8, there are two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity... That's deceptions and lies. It's interesting, the last uh, few weeks since we've had that last Bible class, we've really been concentrating on the book we read called The Stop the Runaway Conversation, Gossip and Lying. And here, once again, one of the things he says, remove me from vanity, remove me from deception, remove me from lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches, In other words, which we'll explain a little bit in the verse, give me neither poverty. God did not want us to be poor. He says, nor give me riches, because there's a danger in richness. Feed me with the food convenient for me. That's the food that we have made available to us. Not something we desire other than what we have. Not to desire things that we don't have. But what we have, use it for the honor and the glory of God. And then he says there concerning, give me neither poverty or riches, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? I lived as an airline pilot and flew for an airline for 32 years, and many of the people I worked with didn't have a need for God. In other words, we had everything we wanted. We had our cars, we had our houses, We could take trips. We could travel. We did not need God. We had a good health plan, so if we got sick, we went to the doctor and didn't have to pay for it because the medical plan covered it. We did not need God. And this is one of the problems with riches. And I'm not saying God doesn't want some of us to be rich. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's very dangerous when you have riches in the Western culture because that tells to us, I do not need to call out to God. I can do it myself. But most of us forget, how did we get our knowledge? How did we get our intellect? How did we get our good health? How did I get that job? Was it really that I did it? Or that God allowed me to be in a position and a place to do it? Sometimes we think we're doing all ourselves, but really, God had made that available. What if you've been born in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya? Different story. We could have been there. We could have been born there. We could have been born there. And we need to have the love of people. I walked those slums. 
You know, and it was interesting as we walked through the slums, there were smiles on some of those people. They were proud of their slum house. Much more proud than some of our people have of our pretty homes. They took care of those little houses they had. And I bet you if I went to ask them, I'd find out that Jesus was part of that home. Because some of them were not that way. But there were some that were very nice. And you could see smiles on their faces. And I've, I've visited some of these places in Africa, and not just Africa, is not the only third world country, don't get me wrong, there's places in America that are just as bad. But there was life in these people. They were praising the Lord. God was blessing them. And they had nothing. But they had the love of Jesus. They had the love of Jesus. Verse 10, it says, Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee, and thou be found guilty. Accursed. Another word for that is to hurt with your tongue by making false actuations or lies. Do not accuse your brethren. Do not make false accusations towards them. And then verse 11 through 12, 11 through yeah, 11 through 12. There is a generation that cursed their father and not blessed their mother. My old man, my old lady. Those are disastrous, bad words as far as I'm concerning. Because if you say those things, my old man, hey, that's your father. To me, that's cursing your father. And how many times do you hear this nowadays? If you go into our society, children are almost taught that they don't have to be obedient to their parents. Honor thy father and thy mother, that your days may be long upon this land. We need to teach our children to honor our father and mother. If we do not honor our physical father and mother, how are we going to teach them to honor the Father in heaven who they can't see. It's Pastor Ty with his little boy. is a story that he says. The little boy honors his father. Therefore, he can teach him to honor the Father in heaven who he cannot see. But this is our generation. He's talking back here that there is a generation, and there may have been another generation that didn't honor their father and mother, and I'm sure there has been. I know something new. But our generation, if we take a look at it, I believe, have totally, totally come against this commandment. And they are not, on a matter of fact, they're even cursing their father and their mothers. There is a generation that's pure in their own eyes and yet not washed from its filthiness. Remember I made a comment that said that this is the age of filth. This is describing our society. Why is there a need for a warning message? Because we are here. We need to warn the people, to show the people what Scripture is saying is coming to pass. Not only to warn them, but to help them change, to change their lifestyle. And that is done as Christ enters into our hearts. And when Christ enters into our hearts, 
we then change because we're flesh, and flesh will always be working against us. If you turn over to Romans 1.8, in the New Testament, this whole idea of our generation being accursed is also talked about. Romans 1, 8 through 32. 18, I'm sorry, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men who hold the truth as unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, the Godhead. So they are without excuse. I think some of the percentages said that most in America, 85% are quote unquote Christian. They know and have heard of Jesus Christ. Our churches filled mostly. So they have no excuse. What God said, we as an American culture do not have an excuse. We've got Christian television, we've got Christian radio, we've got Christian bookstores. There's probably more literature written on faith and prayer and Jesus and the Gospels. I mean, books after books after books. We have no excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. I hope and pray that every day when you get up, you're just thankful for what you have. And every night before you go to bed, you're thankful for you. I don't care how bad of a day it may have been, because in the flesh, we have bad days. I pick up my wife, though she has a bad hair day every Sabbath morning. It's a bad hair day. But she did say, I'm thankful I have hair. (laughs) But once again, you know, we need to laugh and, and joke, but at the same time, we need to be very serious that we do not have an excuse Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In other words, for fools, called morons. Professing themselves to be wise. We are a very, very knowledgeable country. The church that we know of is a very, very knowledgeable church. Those who have gone to Bible school, those who have gone to seminary, we're a very, very intellectual type people. We have a lot of knowledge. And so we profess to be wise. But in God's sight, that may not be wisdom. Because what does God do? He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like corruptible man to the birds and to four-feeted beasts and creeping things, talking idols. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who exchanged the truth of God unto a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than their creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. And for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did exchange the natural use to that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, 
burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of the heirs which was met. The big issue in the state of Washington right now happens to be the same-sex marriage, which is the rights of the homosexuals. It's interesting, when Paul was writing here in Romans, he's talking about his day. And there was a great deal amount of homosexuality. There was a whole bunch of child sacrifice of children being burnt before the altars of Baal. And here we are again. Rome got destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. And from what I'm reading and seeing, America is probably more guilty of Sodom and Gomorrah than Sodom and Gomorrah was. We have gone well beyond that. And this is just a little plug. I have out there the referendum to prevent this issue of coming up and being part of the state of Washington. I went to the seminar, prayer visual seminar for Sound the Alarm, which is up against, so if you haven't signed this petition here, what it is is to put it before the vote of the people of Washington not to allow same-sex marriage into the state. And the lawyer that was speaking there said, if you think that just because two people here want to get married has no effect on you, you're dead wrong. Because right now, I'd read an article, I won't tell him to do it, but in California, in the textbook, they're trying to change the textbook, where mom and dad will not be part of a family. In Massachusetts, when you get a marriage certificate, it's partner A and partner B. Man and woman are still distinct. That has not changed. They are trying to change that. And what does God say when you change his word? He says it three times in Scripture. Ezekiel, he says it, Deuteronomy and Revelation. Do not change the word of God. Why are we presenting a warning message? Why should you present the warning message? Remember, Jesus Christ is not physically here in the bodily form. He was, but he's risen, and we'll be celebrating that. We should celebrate it every day, but we will be celebrating it this week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I wished, <laughs> Pastor Hansen says this over and over, he says, I wish sometimes I could just take a two-by-four or my hand and slap people across the head to knock some sense into them. When I first heard that, I must admit, if I need forgiveness, you'll have to forgive me on this, but he says, you know, that's kind of a cruel statement. You know, God's got a love, but you know what? You know, Jesus went into that temple, and he was not too pleased when he went and threw the money changers out, tipped the tables over, and even with his disciples, I mean, get thee behind me, Satan, when he told to Peter. I mean, Peter was close to him. I mean, Peter's as close to him as I am with Pastor. And I must admit, Pastor tells me the same thing once in a while. And at first, it used to bother me real bad. But then I realized that, you know, what would Jesus do if he was here and I did what I did? Maybe a little bit worse than that. I don't know. Pastor Hanson has a lot of love. I know that. And, uh, but, you know, that's what makes us. As we go through troubles, as we make mistakes, we get corrected. We do it with our children. 
If you don't correct your kids, what kind of kids are they going to turn out to be? I mean, it's hard enough correcting them and still have a way they turn out to be. But by the grace of God, and I was talking with Scott before the service, he says, you know, about grace, and he says, it's a, you know, by the grace of God, without the grace of God, we would not be able to come to him. It's only by his grace that he allows us to come into his presence. That's what God's grace is about. That's what God's grace is about. He allows me and my human flesh and my stubbornness, which is German, allows me to come into his presence. And when Christ died on that cross, the veil was split. And that is important. You know, before then, only one person could go into that holies of holies once a year. And they even tied his leg with a rope because if he wasn't pure, they can pull him out because he would die. But only once a year could an Israelite go into the holies of holies. And you had to be pure and holy. Christ, when he died, God split the veil and opened up the holy of holies. So we now can come into his presence but we don't come into his presence untainted. He's not going to allow a a tainted person to come into his kingdom at that banquet table. It will not happen. So we need to be pure and holy. We need to remain faithful. I don't think I need to go further into Romans 1, but the reason I brought that up is to show you that we're living in a generation that we need to warn them. And God is saying in Ezekiel that if we do not warn them, the blood will be on our hands. But if we warn them, the blood will be on their hands. And remember, man has the free will to choose. Not everybody that we come to is going to bend over backwards and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because they have the free will to say yes or no. You and I have the same right to say it. Even if we've been following the Lord for many years, we still have the right to deny him. So if we allow our wills to override God's will, we can do that. Very serious. So we need to spend time in the word. So we know the word. We need to spend time in prayer. I was going to go into 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 and 10 through 7. Let's take a quick look at that, 2 Timothy. This is all in the same thing, talking about the generation that we're living in. Timothy and the T's come together, Titus, Thessalonians, and Timothy. Timothy comes after Thessalonians, before Titus. I'm just saying that because it's taking me time to fumble through Get find the pages myself. But uh, how many know all the books of the Bible in order? It's not a requirement to get into heaven, by the way. It's not a requirement. But it sure helps sometimes when you're looking up passages to know where the book's located. I was born and raised in the Lutheran church, and we had what's called confirmation. And so when I was about 12 years old or 15 years old, we went two years of confirmation class. And that was one of the requirements. You had to learn the books of the Bible in order. 
You had to know the Ten Commandments in Martin Luther's explanation of the Ten Commandments. You had to know the article of faith in Martin Luther. We had to memorize all that. And then you had to stand before the congregation, and the pastor would come by, and we also had to memorize 130 passages of Scripture. Now, I don't think this is bad. I think this is good for young people, and even adults who haven't done it. But the pastor would come by and say, what's John 3.16? And you had to repeat it. Or you'd come back and say, well, God shall love the world. Where is it found in the Bible? So you had to know both ways. But this is good. And I think as parents, we need to teach our children that to know where we can find things and, and where they're at. And just to digress a little bit, we had one young man who, he was a little bit mentally retarded, but not bad, but he was, he was having problems memorizing. And of course, the requirement... You know, everybody has their policies and procedures. And one of the policy procedures of the Lutheran Church was you had to be able to answer these questions, or otherwise the pastor could not confirm you in the faith. And this young man was standing beside me, but so the pastor said, I tell you what, I'm going to ask you two questions. Here's the first question, and here's the second question. And so we worked with him, and we worked with him. He had him down cold. But unfortunately, he was very nervous. So he was standing up there like this, just as stiff as can be. And all of a sudden, he started going forward as a stiff board. We reached out and caught him. And uh, he took him back and come back. Why? I guess what I'm getting at, why? A pastor asked me the other day, he said he was going to have me preach a sermon. And I said something I shouldn't have. And I was corrected for it, and forgive me. But, you know, why are we so embarrassed or afraid sometimes to do something? Why? He'll tell you why. It's pride. What if I screw up and what if I make a mistake? You are my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You're supposed to love me, encourage me, strengthen me, and correct me. But we do it in love to make us all better in the Lord. I mean, I would like to see every one of us here to have the fire in our heart or our bellies, that Pastor Hansen has right now. And, and I was talking with Scott, and I, I got, he's got it. I was talking to Randy. And when I talked on the telephone, it just in, encouraged me, just listening to you talk and your love for the Lord and how things have to change and you want to make things better for more people. And then willing to drive all the way over here. I mean, that tells me something. We're working together. But we are the body of Christ. We're not visitors. They're not visiting us. They're worshiping with us in the body of Christ. And we want to change this nation. We've got to do it in every city, wherever we're at. We're all not going to congregate together in one little place, a safe haven. I could have a misinterpretation of Scripture, but I don't think there's a safe place in this world. The only safe place in this world is being where God wants you to be at that point in time. If you're not there, there's no protection. So you've got to be where God wants you to be. Okay, in 2 Timothy 3. One through five. Know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. But having, this is what I want to get to, because we could describe people on that. But having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Having a form of godliness. There are many, many good churches. There are many, many godly pastors within those churches. But as you travel around the country, you'll find out there's a lot of churches that are only having the form of godliness. They're doing everything, but the Lord is not there. The Lord is not there. But they have the form of godliness. I mean, one could probably speak for hours going through listing all of these forms that we have in America. But I mention just to the fact that why are we warning the people? Because this is happening. What Scripture says is happening. How to remain faithful. Next point of the sermon. So we've never why we have to warn the people. And that's why we're in this ministry to warn the people. And we travel, for those here that don't know it, World Ministries and As travels to nations. And we meet with leadership of those nations, political, church, to try to bring about the message that there's only one salvation for this country and the church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If the country will return and repent, God can change things. Does he change it because of what we did? No, he changes it because hearts are turned towards God. And when people's hearts are turned toward God, God comes down in a supernatural way and totally corrects things and brings peace and brings joy. That takes a lot of faith. Because if I ask you right now, if President Bush would stand up and say, this nation is going to repent, and we're going to do it God's way, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is going to be the Godhead of this country, most people will say, he'll die. People will kill him. The one world order, or whatever you want to call it, will take him out. Question. Faith. I believe if we make that stand, that God will protect us and change us supernaturally. But you got to step out of the boat if you want to walk in the water. Of course, who read the last article that Jesus did not step out of the water and walked on water? He actually walked on ice. There's a supernatural thing that takes place every now and then in Sea of Galilee with the currents going this way and this way, and actually the water turned into ice. Anybody read that article? He was on World Net Daily the other day and trying to disclaim that Jesus actually walked on the water. He actually was just a phenomenon that happened to us actually ice. It was on the news. So everything is trying to attack Christianity. But we know that that's not true. And we need to have that faith. How to remain faithful. We know that the church in and of itself is drifting away from the Lord. And we know that we as human beings are drifting away from the Lord. And I'm going to take a little time here to, once again, refer to uh, David Wilkinson's newsletter. And the reason I do this is because he has a ministry very much like Pastor Hansen's. 
he travels the world meeting with pastoral leadership. We go a little bit farther than that. We go into the, the government leadership, but he meets with the leadership of pastors. And here's what he's saying. As I have traveled the world in the past four years, I have witnessed a worldwide spiritual tsunami of evil drifting. The waves of this tsunami have swamped entire denominations, leaving in their wake the ruins of apathy. It's happening the world over, and one mighty churches and denominations drift away from the godly paths of their founding fathers. The Bible warns clearly, and here's this word again, warns. The Bible warns clearly that it's possible for devoted believers to drift away from Jesus Christ. And it offers powerful warnings about guarding against falling asleep in the midnight hour. In Revelations, the Ephesian church drifted away from their first love. The Laodicean church drifted away from into lukewarmness. Sardis drifted away into spiritual death. Okay, how do we remain faithful? We need to stop spiritual neglect. Neglect causes deterioration. And there's examples in nature that show there were, if they don't have the proper food, the proper water, the proper nourishment, if they hide in the dark, they'll actually end up losing their eyesight. Fish have lost their eyesight. They no longer have eyes because they've hidden the darkness for so long. But if we neglect the reading of the word, if we neglect prayer, we will deteriorate. You have to constantly exercise your spiritual faculties if you expect to have spiritual life. You just can't go to church on Sunday or Saturday and expect to suck enough life from the service to face the coming week. You have to have your own daily walk with God. God has chosen you. He's called you. That's in Matthew. In Revelation, he adds the word faithful, those that will rule and reign with him. So we've been called, we've been chosen, we need to be faithful. To do that, we cannot neglect the word of God, prayer, or coming together with fellow believers. That's why we're here today, coming together with fellow believers to gain strength and companionship and the ability to work together to change the lives of people. Number two, neglect can be the cause by weariness from the struggles of the Christian walk. Neglect can be caused by weariness from the struggles of the Christian walk. I'm seeing this a lot. We've seen it in our fellowship, and as we build it with other fellowships, other churches, we see the same thing. And David Wilkinson puts it this way. Right now, many precious souls are just plain tired. They have been worn down by their physical and spiritual battles, enduring a barrage of troubles and heartaches. And they're giving up, not on Jesus. They're not giving up on Jesus, but they're giving up on the struggle. They're tired of the stress, weary from the fight, and they no longer want to be so intense in their walk. They only want 
to escape. And he goes on to say, David, the author of many psalms, grew weary in his struggles. And if you read the psalms, you can read that. But he says, now, right now, I believe the body of Jesus Christ is in the midst of a perfect storm. What happened in the storm? Jesus came and calmed the waters. But that storm was getting very frightening to the disciples. So he says, right now, I believe the body of Christ is in the midst of a perfect storm. Hell has erupted. Satan has launched an all-out attack on the overcoming church. Many believers are on the retreat, wanting out of the struggle completely. They've decided, I've had it. I won't leave Jesus, but I'm going to find an easier way. Man, that hit me real close. You know, the, why can't I just sit back? I'm 64 years old. I'm supposed to be retired. Why can't I just sit back and have a good old time, spend time with my grandkids, spend time at home, keep up my yard? Why can't I just sit back and relax, put my feet up, and have an easy life? Well, you folks all have the answer to that one. You have the answer. When will that happen? Not going to happen there because there you're going to be praising the Lord all the time. (laughs) Okay. In other words, we have been called so that blood won't be in our hands so that we can have that beautiful life in the hereafter. But we can't sit back right now. So how do we handle this? How do we handle this? And that I'll get to in just a little bit as I close the message. How do we overcome the fact that I want out of the battle? I don't want to give up on Jesus, but I want to give up on the battle of the daily routine of working with people, meeting their needs. And as I answer the telephone, and I've said this before when people call in, there's a lot of hurting people out there, and I have an answer for them. It's not me. And it's been working in many of their lives. But one more thing about neglect. Neglect cripples all spiritual growth. This is why you're getting tired of the battle. One of the reasons. Because you're neglecting the Word of God. You're neglecting prayer. You're neglecting getting together with other fellow believers. And when you neglect that, you lose the desire. You lose the desire. If you don't water and feed plants, they die. This human body takes good food, takes good water. If you don't believe me, just try to drink some bad water and eat some bad food. You'll deteriorate very, very fast. Ty, I think, mentioned it about a water pipe. Pastor Ty did a while ago. He says, you know, you put water in a pipe and nothing comes out the other end. It becomes stagnant. The Dead Sea is a live sea. When the water goes down to the Dead Sea, it doesn't come out. It stays there. It dies. So this is how you want to be faithful and have a good life and be fruitful. You've got to allow the fruits to flow out. You've got to keep the Spirit and the Word moving through you. As it moves through you and you pass it on to someone else, as you pass on your love and cares to other people, you become fruitful 
and you overcome this idea that I just want to sit back and relax. Okay, the two things that I tell my people when they call in. Praise the Lord. What did Paul and Silas do in prison? They got shackles on their hands and their feet. And I've seen some of these dungeons that these people have been in. And I've been, I was down in Mexico once and saw some of the jails down there. And I tell you, jail is not a nice place to be. I mean, these are dungeons. But what did they do? They praised the Lord and they saw the Lord move. He touched the jailers. He touched the jailer's family. God interrupted with an earthquake and set them free. But you've got to give out, and you've got to praise the Lord. And just to write down some psalms, I was going through it and giving praise to God. Psalms 106, 111, 112, 113, 117, 135, it goes on and on. Praise ye the Lord. There's just something about it when you're down in the dumps. If you reach up and praise the Lord with your heart, life changes. Life changes. Why? Maybe God will tell us when we get there, but we know it's his supernatural power that comes in and takes over. He loves the praises of his people. So instead of having a pity party, and like my wife, I mean, she was having a little pity party, but she ended up praising the Lord and everything turned out fine. Okay? I mean, I see it work in my wife. I tell people on the telephone all day long, Do I do it? (laughs) Sometimes I forget that message, and I don't praise the Lord. Have you found yourself doing that? I mean, you know how to tell other people? But when it gets to you, my problems are too great. I just can't praise the Lord. You need to praise the Lord because, you know, I know the Lord will lift you up. Well, I don't think the Lord's going to lift me up when I praise him. Anybody think that way? Anybody think that way? Am I the only one? Tell you what, try it. And uh, my wife, you've got the right to hit me over the head with your hand. When I do that and I'm not praising the Lord, and we'll do it together when we have our pity party together, uh, we'll turn around and praise the Lord. Because that's what we need to do. And young people, learn how to praise the Lord. And the second one is bless the Lord. Psalms 105, 134, and 44 have that in there. And it's bless the Lord. I want to read one more quote from David Wilkerson. And he's talking about a message of Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. How many times have I denied you, Pastor? No answer, please. (laughs) But you know, I stopped to think about it because he's my overseer, he's my shepherd. Okay? And I need to respect him and obey him. That's why God put him over this congregation, why he put it over this ministry. And Peter, in his flesh, said, Lord, I will never deny you. And the Lord says, well, by the time the cock crows twice, you'll deny me twice, yeah, three times. Well, I don't think Peter heard that at all, except when he denied him, The third time he broke and he wept and he cried. But he repented. Hey, we all can repent. And the Lord came back after his resurrection to Peter. And he says, do you love me? Do you think Jesus had the right to ask 
You think pastor would have the right to ask me, EJ, do you still love me? I say, yes. Well, that's what Peter said. Yeah, I love you. And he says again, Peter, do you really love me? Yes. He says, feed my sheep. Three times. And the third time, I think Peter probably started getting maybe a little bit angry. I don't know. But Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Hey, we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all fail. But at the same time, how do you overcome it? Feed my sheep. And David's last comment was, if you're persistent in prayer and God's word, that will prosper your soul. If you're diligent in prayer, diligent reading the word, that will prosper your soul. But now is a time also to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the needs that are on your very doorstep. He will be faithful to lead you into opportunities to minister, to show you a need you've often passed by, but you've never seen before. As Pastor Hansen says, and I've been with him, I'm seeing him walking down the street, he'll stop. May I pray for you? He sees the need. We had a pastor retreat. I won't go into that, but he was with a man. May I pray for you? The guy broke down and cried. He touched that man. We don't have to go to the mission field. We don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to South America. If God calls you to go there, you better go. But he may be calling you just next door. If you respond to such a leading, you will never drift away from the Lord. In other words, he's talking about if you don't bypass that need and you meet that need, you will never drift away from the Lord. That is a safeguard and a wall of protection. How to remain faithful. Feed my sheep. Praise the Lord and bless the Lord. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Hansen has written a book titled The Science of Judgment. God is predictable. There is a scientific pattern for the rise and fall of nations throughout history. We need to understand the laws or the rules of design regarding prophecy and judgment. When it comes to the laws of judgment and prophecy, denominational or personal belief systems have nothing to do with the reality or the certainty of the rule of judgment. Dr. Hansen's objective is to warn leaders of nations of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the plagues or judgments that are coming upon these peoples and nations that reject Jesus Christ as Savior according to the Scriptures. Dr. Ronald E. Cottle, founder and president of Christian Life School of Theology, states that this book is a must-read for Christians and other leaders in the United States and in other nations. It is clear, powerful, and well-reasoned. We all owe a debt of gratitude to Dr. Jonathan Hansen for the years that have gone into the research and writing of the science of judgment. This book has more than 300 pages, divided up in five sections. Part 1, The Science of Judgment, has chapters titled such as The Laws Regarding Prophecy and Judgment, Patterns of Apostasy, Purpose of Chastisement, Standards for Justice and Mercy, God Forgives When People Repent, God Holds Nations Responsible for What Leaders Do, Parental Responsibility, The Feasts of the Lord, 
Solomon's transgressions and their consequences. Righteous kings versus evil kings. Example of King Jehoshaphat. Ungodly alliances. God is predictable. God holds people accountable. Man can turn into an intelligent beast to do evil. Section 2, The Deception of the Theory of Evolution, has chapters titled as Problems with the Theory of Evolution, Evolution and Racism, Darwin's Hatred of Christianity and its Fruit. Section 3, Why Must There Be Judgment, has titles such as The Fall of America and Her Destruction, Cult Christianity, Radical Liberal Politics. Section 4, Kings, Dictators, and Presidents, with the following chapters listed as People Choose Their Nation's Leaders, Qualifications for Godly Leadership, Romans 13, Delegated Authority, Satan is in charge of this world, not Jesus. If laws violate conscience, we must disobey. Finally, part five, so what must we do? These chapters are listed as, we are in a cultural war, our responsibility to a hostile government, the Christian's science of judgment. With turmoil ever increasing throughout the nations as Bible prophecy is coming to life right before our very eyes, one must read the science of judgment to have a clear understanding of these events and the reasons why. Call 360-629-5248, 360-629-5248, that is 360-629-5248, and request your copy of The Science of Judgment for a donation of $35 or more, plus shipping and handling. Thank you, and shalom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.